Welcome to the Grappling Discourse Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaff. Today, I want to talk about heavyweights getting their blue belts and Tyro Tolo versus Gary Tonin. First, I want to tell you guys that I started a mobility program a few days ago. I'm on to day four, and it's been pretty tough. If I'm being honest, my mobility has always been one of my biggest weaknesses, particularly in my hips and my hamstrings. This is due to all the injuries that I suffered growing up playing soccer. I had multiple grade three tears. Devin Booker, who plays for the Phoenix Suns, just injured his hamstring and had to come out of the game the other night, and that was just a grade one tear. Grade grade three tears are, are really significant, and I had a grade three tear in my left hamstring and then a grade three tear in my right hip flexor. Both are probably the two worst injuries that I've ever had, worse than even my shoulder surgery when I tore my labrum. And both of those injuries just kind of ravaged the muscular groups in my legs. Everything has been uh, challenging when it comes to, to mobility. I've always been very stiff as a jiu-jitsu practitioner. Now, while I I'm, I'm, would say I'm more flexible than a, a lot of like the majority of the human population, I'm still nowhere near being flexible compared to uh, even just a, a regular Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, but especially like a black belt. And I've always thought that even if I took a year off, if I took a year off from jiu-jitsu and I just did mobility and stretching, that I would come back and be a better practitioner. But my discipline, for some reason, whatever reason, I've always really struggled to maintain a mobility and stretching program. But I'm really committed this time, and I'm going to let you guys know how it goes. Nakia Jackson, one of my students, she's been on Kelly Starrett's program. It's the ModWad, and I've been really impressed with it so far. It's been challenging, but I can really feel like when I'm done with it, I really can feel how much better my hips feel and my hamstrings feel. So I'm really excited to see how my mobility improves over the course of the really the next six months. One of my biggest, uh, kind of something I've never really told anybody was I was always pretty insecure about my limited mobility, especially being a personal trainer for a while. Because while I never struggled with things like lunges, um, a traditional squat, particularly the depth, was always a big issue for me. And there was a big, big movement for a, a few years where everybody was going into deep squats the ass to grass movement and I I couldn't do it and I would go to like a personal trainer seminar even at our gym 10th Planet Decatur we would start Brandon was was really into Kelly Starr for a minute and he would have us warm up by getting into that deep squat like Ido Portal was doing it Kelly Starr so everybody was talking about it and our jiu-jitsu class would would start and we'd spend a couple of minutes stretching in that position and I was like the only person that couldn't do it and it was just always embarrassing I was like I just At that point, I I just uh, didn't understand why I couldn't do it. And I I would do, you know, half-ass stretch, and the next time I still couldn't do it. So if after a few months or even just six months, if I could get into the deep squat position for really the first time in my adult life, man, that that would be humongous for me. And And I really think it'll help improve my athletic performances and development as an athlete. But I'll keep you guys up to date. But today, I really want to talk about heavyweights getting their blue belts. 
this is a really important to me being a smaller practitioner because I truly don't understand what it's like to be 225 plus. And so my jujitsu looks a lot different than a heavyweight grappler. The way that I developed and the way that I've always been able to move my body, um, there's just certain things I think that I do, especially that a more beginner heavyweight practitioner, they just they can't do that quite yet. They don't have the, the movement capabilities. And so I think that lightweight blue belts and heavyweight blue belts are going to look vastly different. Now, by the time everybody gets their black belt, you know, there, there's certain skill sets that are just have to have been developed. Now, obviously, everybody's A game is going to look different, but there are certain, you know, things, requirements, I think, that everybody, um, you know, every black belt has. You know, there's certain skills that everybody should be able to do. But at blue belt, like I said, I, I think there could be a pretty vast difference in what a lightweight blue belt and a heavyweight blue belt looks like. And me and Brandon just gave out a heavyweight blue belt. This gentleman's a giant. I mean, you see his hands. He's... <laughs> His hands are like twice the size of mine, and he's in great shape. He looks great. He came in overweight, and he's lost like 50, 60 pounds. So he's sitting around 260, and the dude's a beast, and he just got his blue belt a couple of weeks ago. And I was thinking a lot about his development and why he deserved his blue belt. I've talked about it in other episodes. There's always reasons why somebody shouldn't get a blue belt or shouldn't get a purple belt or a promotion. Myself, I mean, there are multiple reasons. I mean, if we just talk about mobility, <laughs> there's mobility reasons I shouldn't be a black belt. I mean, heck, I can't even do a deep squat. <laughs> but this gentleman has really impressed me and Brandon this year. He's been training with us coming on two years, but this year, particularly the last six months, he, he's looked, he's really looked like a blue belt. And there's just certain things I think that he's done that like really impressed me. And yes, there are going to be times when your peers are calling for your belt rank, but I think it's more important when the coaches are talking about you. And he's a guy that me and Brandon have been talking about before Christmas. And so, yeah, his promotion might have been a little overdue, but it's something we've been thinking about for for quite a while now. And the big thing is with, with heavyweights, the thing I'm looking for most is their ability to move in the bottom position. Once you get your guard passed, because I'm not expecting heavyweights to have a decent guard at blue belt. That's, again, that's going to be a more advanced skill. That's going to be a brown or black belt. The lightweights, I'm expecting a more advanced guard. But heavyweights, it's more about their ability not to get pinned. Their ability to always be able to get up into turtle or, or use a system of framing to find their guard. I think both of those things are, are key. You have to be able to get up into the turtle, to really then start working the turtle guard position. You can wrestle up from your knees, so you can start going from singles or, or, or double legs from your knees or sit outs. But I really also want to see how you frame. Can you recognize when you're giving up inside spaces? To me, like the big thing you can tell, the uh, huge difference in a more novice heavyweight guy and a blue belt heavyweight is they're not just getting tapped in Kimuras and Americanas left and right because they recognize the inside space. They're not letting their arms get away from their bodies and they're starting to use proper framing. And then with that proper framing, they should be able to start getting out of the position. They should, uh, should be able to start escaping. And I actually expect heavyweights to learn to escape much quicker than lightweights. Because obviously lightweights, especially if they're going with a much bigger practitioner, 
it's really more about surviving. But for heavyweights, it's like, look, like, you know, there's probably not, like, if you're 240, there's not a lot of guys at your gym that are bigger than you. And so the pressure that a 190-pound guy can put on you, it's just not the same for a 155er. And so I expect you to learn to survive and, and get comfortable being on bottom much quicker. And then I, I want to start seeing escapes. And once you start escaping the bottom position, that's to me like a big sign that you're ready for your blue belt. Now, I think it's also super important, and I've talked about this in another episode, where blue, uh, blue belt heavyweights should be intelligent. There's a mat IQ that I expect them to have. They need to recognize when they can go hard and when they shouldn't go hard. The moment I see females or 155-pound guys going up and rolling, asking to roll with guys that are 225 and over, I know that they're starting to get to a certain skill level. And that skill level, you know, typically is going to be after a year. When I start seeing that people feel comfortable and they feel confident that they can go and roll and not just get crushed. And, and you know, it just shows that they're out of their spazzing stage. We all have the spazzy stages. Mine lasted probably around a year. And so it's kind of showing me that like, man, you know, your teammates and your peers are feeling comfortable that they're not going to get injured because the risk of injury is much higher. And so both of those things were a big indicator of why this guy got his blue bike. They, they, I would watch him roll people that were he was much bigger than that he could just crush, and he would have good rolls with them, and he would be working on a skill while they also like like he allowed his teammates to also work on skills. And I know this dude like he could half the gym he could just sweep, he could get on top, crush them, and finish them. A lot of times with just pressure because his pressure is tremendous. There was a couple of times I've rolled with him where I had his like back even and I was like, dang, like the pressure, just him driving back. It's just crazy. His ability to put weight through another human being is is a very, very, very high. And so, again, that IQ, that mat IQ. But I don't want to always see guys go light. And that's probably was, was one of this guy's biggest weaknesses is he heard that. And there's times I've wanted to see him roll a little bit harder, especially with the other heavyweights. And there's times I'll see him, here's a couple guys he'll get after it with, but I think that's going to be more of a purple belt skill for him. But to me, it's much more important that he learned to train softly. And now for purple belt, I'm going to want to see him start to ramp it up. And and I want to to see him have some really hard rounds with guys, um, again, closer to his, his peers blue and purple belt heavyweights at our gym now another big thing that i look at when we're talking about heavyweight blue belts is their ability to roll uh rounds like roll a lot of rounds i've been at other gyms whether it was seminars or just guys coming and visit it's like sometimes the heavyweights even the colored belt heavyweights they have like two rounds in them. They go ham for two rounds and then they stop. And they might be very, very, very skilled. They might be very dangerous, you know, guys that are beasts. But to me, if you cannot roll six rounds, 
then it shows a, a lack of technique and it just, I don't know. It, it always leaves a bitter taste in my mouth. Like a guy that has to sit out a couple of rounds so then he can go out and give his best. Even if his best, that five minutes of his best is a very high level, like he can tap out purple, brown, and black belts. It still doesn't impress me as much as the guy that can do multiple rounds back to back to back and still perform at a decent clip. Now, obviously, there's always going to be a diminishing um, as guys get tired and they, the more rounds they roll, they're, they're going to diminish. Their skills are going to diminish. That's part of it. And that's where a lot of times you see the biggest holes in your game. But I truly like want to see heavyweight grapplers roll six, seven, eight rounds, sometimes do 10 rounds. And if I can, uh, you know, if I see that, it, it's a big indicator the way that they're training. And I talk about that all the time, like, you know, I expect that for our blue belts here that you can roll 30 straight minutes. But I especially want to see that from heavyweights. I want to see the heavyweight grappler be able to do 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 rounds. Not every single time, but I want to see that you can do that. Every now and again, let me see you push yourself and get out there for 10 plus rounds. Now, offensively, honestly, I don't ever look at heavyweight blue belts. To me, offensive skills are much more of like a lighter guy. Why? Because I'm not impressed when the 240-pound guy's tapping out the 185-pound white belt. Like if there's two white belts and one's 185 and one's 240, I just expect the 240 guy to win more often than not. And typically, heavyweight offense comes much slower because they're finding so much more success. Like, I know guys that are under 145 pounds that it took them like a year to get their first real submission. Where most of the time, if you're 200 pounds and over, you start tapping guys a month in. You'll start getting results during training. And I think sometimes that those results hinder the progress because they learn an Americana and they learn a Kimura and then their offense stays pretty limited until purple belt. I mean, I've seen so many heavyweights that have, you know, pretty simple offensive schemes you know their whole goal is to get on top once they get on top they force half guards and then they're trying to win inside spaces to get limb exposure and then off that limb exposure it's going to be americana kimura or a straight arm bar that mousetrap series and so again for me i'm not really looking offensively at heavyweights and i think that's sometimes a, a huge thing four guys is like they're like oh man but i'm winning i'm tapping out i'm tapping out the other white belts and i'm not looking at that four blue belt if you're 215 pounds and you're still we got a guy that um he played linebacker at auburn and he's already tapping on dude he just won his first tournament but i'm still like i'm not looking at his offense i'm looking at the quality of movements that i've kind of already talked about like can he create proper frames and then work back to his guard can he get up to turtle reliably and then start wrestling up from there or start you know um, like how does he defend the hooks like what does his turtle position look like that's impressing me much more um, and again that's the, the type of skills I'm looking for when it comes to like his belt promotion so uh, now for the 145 pound guys it's a little bit different because like I said their offense comes much, much later. And typically, they'll 
have like a you know 145 pound guy it could be a triangle it could be an arm bar it could be a rear naked choke like I've, I've seen much more varied offenses when we're talking about guys under 185 compared to the guys that are over 185 at blue belt now like I said, once you're a black belt, every heavyweight black belt, they can all do great arm bars and triangles and yada, yada, yada. So they'll, you'll have the full package. It's just like I said, a blue belt, you're going to be more limited. You're going to have success with a few things, but you're going to have a limited offense. So that's just something to think about. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is Ty Rutolo versus Gary Tonin. So this is going to be taking place on 1FC. So 1FC is doing something interesting. They are, I shouldn't say doing something interesting. They've been doing it for a while, but their cards, while they'll have MMA, they'll also have Muay Thai fights. They'll have grappling matches. They just had Andre Galvao versus, I believe, their middleweight champion. And they've had Gary Tonin versus Shinya Aoki. Like, they'll have these, these pure grappling matches. And they're having three coming up. They've got Mikey Musumichi versus... Um, oh my god, Imanari. I almost <laughs> blanked on Imanari's name. That would have been embarrassing. Versus Imanari. They've got Kade Rutolo versus Shinya Aoki. And then they've got Tai Rutolo versus Gary Tonin. Honestly, I'm not really interested in the other two matches. I think Cade beats Shinya Aoki, while Shinya Aoki's a monster and one of my favorite MMA fighters of all time. The dude's a, a, a legend. Um, I, I think Cade beats him pretty handedly. And then... Um, I think Mikey beats Minari really easily. Then the only matchup that intrigues me is Ty versus Gary, and that's a dream matchup. That's a matchup that people have been calling for for the past couple of years, and they're finally making it happen. First, I bet these guys are getting paid very well. I, I could imagine, I can imagine that they're both getting ten thousand to show, and maybe ten thousand to win, maybe even more than that. But I think they're going to get paid very, very well. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if it was 20 to show and 20 to win. And this is truly an intriguing matchup because we haven't seen Gary Tonin compete in pure grappling for really quite a while. He's been so focused on MMA. And Ty Rotolo's taken over. He's pound for pound the number one grappler on flow grappling. Now, obviously, we all know that Gordon Ryan's the best pound for pound grappler. Nobody's beating him. But Ty's the champion at 170 and 185, and he's been taking out everybody. His last loss was to Craig Jones, but that was a good match. And I think him versus Gary's going to be a barn burner. Gary's never been in a boring match either as Ty. Well, take that back. I guess Ty versus Mika Galvao in the finals, who's number one, was kind of boring. But it's still like it wasn't – that match didn't bore me. I saw a lot of really good techniques. It's just neither guy would come in and commit. But Ty versus Gary, I mean, Gary is notorious for – I mean, he'll just put himself in a bad position. He's one of those guys that he truly feels like he's untappable, like you cannot tap him. And so he'll just show you his back. He'll show you positions to then try and work into his own offense. He's one of those guys that like truly is like his defense is his offense. And Cade's always going forward. And so I can see Cade getting really good offensive positions on Gary. Now the question is, can he finish Gary? There's really only one movement that I think Cade, or excuse me, Ty can finish Gary with, and that's the Darce choke. But even then, I don't know. I just don't see like I, I before like when I started thinking about this match, I thought, man, Ty's gonna Ty's gonna beat Gary. But I just don't know what offensive movement Ty has that's gonna beat Gary Tonin. 
I don't think he can tap Gary Tonin, where I think Gary's got multiple skills that he can tap Tyra Tola with. And so I think Gary Tonin, man, I think he um I think he gets the job done. Even though Ty Rotolo, like you guys know the Rotolo brothers, I'm a huge fan, probably my favorite grapplers. I, I just don't see how Ty right now offensively beat Gary Tonin, unless it's with that Darce choke. If he can find the Darce, but even then I've seen um, Gary Tonin have just masterful displays to front headlock, uh, you know, defenses. And I think back all the way to when he fought Boogie Martinez at the first EBI. I mean, Boogie got a deep Darce attempt, and I mean, Gary navigated it great. And that was years ago, and Boogie got one of the best Darces in the world. Now, Boogie's not to the level of Ty Rutolo, but his, it's one of those like where his Darce is. Like his Darce is world class, just like, um, just like Ty Rutolo. And so, man, unless... Ty can just wear Gary out, but we've never seen Gary get wore out like that. I just, I think Ty's going to have a tough time finishing. And it's one of those matches where if there's not a submission, it goes, I believe it goes to a draw. So I'm going to assume that we're going to go to a draw. But if there's a submission, I think Gary Tonin, I think he's got the advantage. This is episode number 311. I Blown away. For a long time, I didn't check the episode count. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been doing this thing for two and a half years, a little longer than two and a half years, coming on year three. In October, I've been podcasting for three years. But I'm at episode 311. I'm getting close to having the most, I think, episodes for any BJJ show. So I appreciate you guys for always tuning in. Um, Yeah, keep checking the podcast out. Until next time, guys, I love and appreciate you. Peace.